0: What's up, everyone? This is episode 103 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is Podcast, and my Twitter is PC. Well, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the phrase, it's better to be lucky than good. And that could apply to something that happened to me in the hobby this week. And it involves a Semi-Ogele card that I referred to on a recent episode. And I figure you guys might enjoy hearing about it. So here goes. Uh, back on March 13th of 2020, so we're almost to the one-year mark, uh, almost one year ago, I bought a BGS9 Prism Gold card of semi Jolet on Com C for $43.00. Now, that wasn't necessarily cheap at the time, uh, but it seems like for the last two years, every semi card that I've touched has made money, which is great because I have no you know, vested interest in the guy. So if I get something, I can move it. And it's a lot easier easier to do that with Celtics than it is other teams. So I figured last year, I figured heading into the playoffs, I might be able to make some money. And now that was, of course, right before COVID too, which we didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so I priced the card high, just waiting for something to happen. If it sold, awesome. If it didn't, you know what? I wasn't in it much. And it set, and it set, and it set. Um, it didn't move during the playoffs, even though a raw copy sold in August on eBay for $300. So figure that out. Um But this was a BGS nine now, so that made me feel pretty good, though, about my BGS nine. But it didn't move at three hundred. It didn't move at two fifty. And then in January, a PSA nine sold for one fifty. So I thought, well, you know, for sure, I think my BGS nine could probably match that. Well, it didn't move at one fifty. It didn't move at one thirty five. So a couple weeks ago, I decided, you know what, Um, you know, I'm only in this thing forty three dollars. I don't need to be super greedy. I think his days in Boston might be limited, and, and maybe even the league. I don't want to go that far, though. I don't want to cancel Simi, but it's time for me to get out of this card. So I'm going to put it on a Comp C auction and see what happens. And In fact, some of you might remember me telling Steve a, a week or two ago on this show that this auction was coming up, and I said, I need just one 15-point game from Simi sometime soon. And I'll come back to that shortly. So like I said, I did, I elected to go with Comp C mainly because it was already there and their eBay consignments are just really easy. I stopped selling cards from my personal account on eBay last year. Um, and even when I was selling the last couple of years, it was only Buy It Now's or Best offers because um, I, I haven't auctioned the card because I felt like I was just giving stuff away for too cheap, especially when I was in no hurry to sell. So... I went with Comp C. This was actually the third time that I've done this. The other two I either broke even or made a little bit of money, and that's not on them. That's just on my selection of cards. But um, So I submitted this card sometime in the last week of January. For anyone that's interested in that service, you have to wait a little bit for them to get a higher quality scan, and the card kind of just disappears in the abyss for a while, and it's hard to know the status. So Um, even though this was my third time, every time that happens, I get a little bit worried, but, um, it's all worked out. So I just have to be patient and accept that it's part of the process. And if I do it again, I have to tell myself the same thing. So, um, I was getting a little antsy though. Finally, this thing showed up on eBay somewhere around February 5th. And I, I'm probably, I probably drove Steve crazy because I just kept messaging him saying, I just need one good game from Simi. Well, it it wasn't happening, and this thing had a little over a day left. I tweeted the link out to the auction one last time, and I made the same type of comment. I said, Simi, just give me one 15-point game, please. And his last full game before the auction ended, uh, I wasn't watching it, but I started getting messages from people that were. They said, hey, Simi has 14. Then another said, hey, he has 19 in the first half. I've never seen something like this. Um, So, you know, then I started watching. He didn't end up doing much in the second half, but he finished with a career high of 24 points. And it it was funny to me because a lot of people were congratulating me at, you know, and and I know what they meant. But it it was funny to me as if, you know, I had actually done something. But they were happy for me, really. And uh, Com C posted the card on all their social media too and tagged me, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I think everyone realized just how much dumb luck was involved. But, um, you know, even then the card hadn't ended yet and it, and it was still pretty low. So just because he got his career high didn't mean necessarily that I was going to um, succeed because of that. But I got to watch this card over the next day um, and then the next night it, it sold for around $135, which if you remember, that's what I'd been trying to sell it for. So um, Simi got his career high. It all worked out for me. And that money dropped into my account this afternoon, by the way. You know, I, I kind of forgot how enjoyable it was to watch your own auctions end. And like I said, it's been a long time since I've done that. The whole experience was pretty fun. I don't have a lot of high-end cards that I would normally send to consignment, but I think I might try this with ComSea more often, if nothing else, just for my entertainment. Um, And no, you know, is not paying me to say all of this. I could send this to any consigner. Uh, I just like to flip stuff that I've already bought online that I never have to ship myself. I just get lazy, right? So for me, this is a great... Um, a great opportunity. So anyway, that was an experience I enjoyed. I thought it would be a good way to start today's show, a different way to start today's show. As for the rest of the show though, I'm going to touch on some hobby headlines. I'm going to share some mail, and then I'm going to close by talking a little bit more about adaptability because our hobby's changing. In some cases, that involves changing with the times. That applies to Panini that applies to adults. And unfortunately, it also applies to kids. I'll touch more on that later. So in the meantime, though, let's hit the hobby headlines. I don't have a lot of hobby headlines for you today, but I'm going to run through a few things real quick. It feels like a lot of the same stuff from previous weeks, but then there was one pretty big story that sprung up on Tuesday. So Um, To start off, new hoops inserts, the Slam Magazine inserts specifically, are selling high, despite the fact that many of them um, are not rare. So now I suppose you could still say that they're tough because a lot of this aren't going to sniff any hoops anytime soon. Um, Who knows? You know, imagine that I'm bummed out that I can't open NBA hoops, right? Maybe I'm just bitter. That just screams 2021. Um, all right, moving on golden auctions has another huge batch of monster cards listed. I believe it's part of their winter auction included in that were a couple of RPAs I had never seen before one Curry, one Giannis. Um, and as you guys know, I built those trackers. Um, if you've never seen those, it's tinyurl.com slash WM pod. I track some of the highest, um, you know, most popular RPAs, Curry, Luca, that kind of thing. Um, so I follow those pretty close. So I'd never seen one of the Currys and one of the Giannis cards they posted. You have to figure some of these insane prices will bring more of these cards out of hiding. And I'm sure some of them are cards that people intended to keep forever. But you know what? The growth on them right now is astronomical. So people are deciding, you know, people are having to decide if they're going to truly cash in. Is this time or is it going to get even crazier? Um, I don't like playing that game of trying to find the peak. I do it on a much, much, much smaller scale. Um, but at some point you just have to decide, okay, I've made enough on this. I'm going to get out. Kind of like I did with Simi Ogile. Although you, you won't see uh, Simi Ogile in the winter golden auctions. Um, now, that was not the biggest golden announcement of the week, though. Kitty, I'm so that's ridiculous. It's are right, it's ridiculous. You want to talk about giving it away, America. We sold the 86 top-traded Barry Bonds in a Gemmin 10 for $2,500. Oops, sorry about that. I don't know how an old chop-at-home soundbite got in there. Um, but anyway, um, on Tuesday, Ken, or, or Ken A, announced that the Chernin Group, which is a multi-stage investment firm... Um, And and you might know them because they actually put a lot of money into Barstool and helped grow that into what it is today. Um, But the churning group is investing $40 million in Golden Auctions. And Ken put out a press release. I'm going to highlight a few pieces for you real quick. Um, It said, Golden Auctions will use the funding to invest in technology, operations, and audience development it also noted uh, Ross Hoffman, who has held senior positions at Twitter, Google, and Headspace, is joining as the new CEO. He will run the day-to-day operations. Ken is moving into the new position of executive chairman and founder. And then they went on to give a list of individuals and firms that have joined in on this funding round. And a few of those names, you know, you probably know, right? They include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant. Timberland, Logan Paul, Bill Simmons, Dwayne Wade, Mark Wahlberg, and Deshaun Watson. Um, Now, there was a Bloomberg article that phrased things a little different, gave a little more information. It said that Golden is selling a majority stake in the auction. Keep in mind, the other releases say that they're being invested in. in. Both are correct, by the way, but there are different connotations. And Bloomberg also notes, right now, Golden is just an auction house But Golden and the churning group have plans to make it a one-stop shop for collectors and hobbyists. The company can compile a database for potential buyers to look up recent transactions, record podcasts to offer insight into the market, and stage the biggest and best auctions around. Uh, Most of the reactions I've seen to this so far are pretty positive. Things are definitely becoming more mainstream, and, and people seem excited, which is good. You know, something we care about which is this hobby. Um, if you want to you know, call it, that is, is getting exposure. Now, um, I've got one friend that said, you know what, it looks like they might be trying to create a one-stop shop and make a run at eBay. I can't confirm that, but you know what, that would really revolutionize things because eBay changed this hobby and we've never seen a competitor that comes close to the variety and scale of items you can find there. um, I think they're also going to build a platform that you know maybe would compete with PWCC in the vault. And the only other group I think would even have a chance of doing that in the future would be PSA, seeing as they could you know grade the cards in addition to storing and selling and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure we'll know more right after this episode comes out. I'm writing this Wednesday morning, recording Wednesday afternoon. Ken's expected to do an Instagram live at 5.15 where he'll go into things more. So instead of me speculating anymore, I would just say, watch the replay of that. Um, Now, one more thing though, on the other side of all that excitement, which, you know, the money, the celebrity names and all that, I'll quote one of my collector friends who said, the funny thing is everyone is paying attention to who's buying. They should be paying attention to who's selling which in this case of course is ken and and i'm not going to do the whole bubble speculation thing but i thought that was very interesting and it's definitely something i'm thinking about as well ken is someone who is immersed in the hobby seems to have a very good pulse on things right now and he's selling okay Now, he's selling and I'm buying still because I'm a collector. I'm always going to zag to things that are in my range. That's the kind of stuff I want to share with you in this week's mail segment. I got a good little mix of stuff in this week. And no, it wasn't all Pacer stuff, even though, yes, I did get Pacer stuff. Um, So I'll close the segment with the Pacer stuff. Okay, some of you might have seen on my social media a really rough-looking George Gervin rookie that I picked up this week. And several of you asked me, is this the Wonder Woman purse copy? Sadly, it's not. That one is still MIA. I messaged the seller about that one. They said nobody has reported receiving it yet. We have no clue where that card is. I was holding out hope, but um, now that I have another roughed up copy, I'll probably just have to go for the refund. But like I said, this new copy, or new to me at least, is really rough looking, I knew there was some wear to it when I bought it. I knew there was some kind of gross stain on the front. Turns out it was a little worse than I anticipated, but that's all right. I have a number of roughed up vintage rookies. It really doesn't bother me. I mean, they're old. You know, the wear gives them a little bit of character. This one only cost me $25. That's still pretty cheap for any Gervin rookie. I will take it. The next non-pacers package I got, uh, moving on was a pair of Shaq cards. And, um, I'm usually not a buyer of Shaq cards. I have nothing against Shaq, but especially, you know, with all his rookie stuff going up, it's not anything that I'm looking for. Um, I, now I will say though, I thought Shaq stuff for the longest time was fairly undervalued. It's just, the hobby just doesn't respect big men in the long run. But, um, anyway, his stuff was low for decades. His rookies especially were low for decades. But the cards that I picked up were from later in his career. They're from a relic set from 2006-2007 Topps big game called Final Score. Um, There were several variations of the set, but in general, Final Score is significant to me, and and really I think the hobby at large, because it contains Miami Heat relic cards that were used in the 2006 NBA Finals. You know I love my final stuff. So um, they There were no Mavs cards in that set, which is unfortunate, but that Heat team was loaded with veterans. You got to remember we're talking Shaq, young Dwayne Wade, um, Gary Payton, Antoine Walker, Jason Williams, Udonis Haslam, um, Jason Capono, right? There's all these guys on there um, made for a pretty interesting squad. So And also, keep in mind, Tops had autograph exclusives for Shaq and D-Wade at the time, so that allowed them to do some cool stuff with the set. So both of the cards that I received, though, were Shaq cards. The first one is a red relic. just kind of a plain red relic with a sticker autograph numbered to 50. I have several Shaq Finals relics already. It's not anything that's distinct about that one, so I'll end up um, probably moving that one to recoup some of the costs or to get a PC card. But I really bought this two-card lot for the other card. It's a patch card numbered to 50 that includes the edge of the Larry O'Brien NBA Finals Trophy. And I've talked a little bit about finals logo cards before, but a piece like that is just so unique and historic to me. I, you know, I probably overpaid for it a little bit. Um, definitely, if you would ask me a year ago, I would have said more than a little bit. But Um, I remember losing one on eBay, a a trophy piece for Shaq, three or four years ago at a fraction of the cost. Now, ironically enough, I was bidding on that on my phone. I watched it end as I was in the backseat of my friend's car and we were driving to a Miami Heat game in Miami. Um, I don't know if it's the same exact copy, though, because I can't check worth point now, but there can't be too many cards with a piece of the top of that trophy, so... Anyway, I got that in. Um, after seeing these and a few D. Wade pickups I've had this year, um, Connell Collection on Instagram, he tells me I am a closet heat collector. Well, I got to set the record straight. Um, I cannot stand D. Wade. He did dirty things to players that I like. He beat my teams. Um, the Heat, in general, then beat my team, so I don't like them. They beat one of the strongest Pacers teams ever. Um, I don't have any issues with Shaq, but I don't like the heat. I'm not a closet heat fan, but these players are a huge part of NBA history. These pieces help narrate the history of the game. I can't ignore that, so I got to add them to my collection. Okay, Pacers pickups. Enough heat chatter. Pacers pickups. Um, This first one is a set I've talked about before, I got a 2019-2020 Immaculate Patch Auto of Aaron Holiday, numbered to 25. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This set, to me, is incredible. It's got a great design, big patch pieces, an on-card auto, acetate surfaces. There are five pacers in the set, and this makes number four for me. The only one I have left is the President Malcolm Brogdon. So that was just a quick little piece of mail there. Um, The next one, um, I got the Rick Smith's letter that I talked about some last week. If you haven't listened to episode 102, make sure you get that one queued up for when you finish this one. This was a nameplate from Leafs 2020 in the game used product. I've always wanted a Rick Smith's nameplate. I doubt Panini will ever make one. Leaf, however, did. I'm very excited about that. And I'm excited to finally own one. Um, I'd like to track down the source material, but I haven't had any luck so far. I messaged someone from Leaf, and he said a lot of their basketball stuff came in a big transaction they made with Dr. Brian Price, who's the previous owner of the In the Game brand. And a lot of his jersey inventory then is from the old Fleer bankruptcy auction. Uh, Leaf told me that, and Dr. Price has told me that as well. So. Fleer never made a Smiths relic. I guess it's possible they had a Smiths jersey in their inventory, but I really don't know for sure, and I think that's as far as I'm going to get with that. Either way, I got a Smiths nameplate. And I'm happy to own it. Okay, the next Pacers mail day involves a guy that drafted Rick Smiths, and that is former Pacers executive Donnie Walsh. Um, I grabbed a signed business card of his off of eBay for like, I don't know, like $8 shipped and very happy with that. Now, even though he hasn't been super involved with constructing the team in recent years, Donnie was uh, employed by the Pacers as a consultant. He retired a few weeks ago, but he was essentially the, he's about to turn 80 years old, by the way, he was essentially the architect of some of the really successful Pacers teams in the 90s. He drafted Reggie. Like I said, he drafted Rick Smits. Um, he had a short stint with the Knicks in the 2010s and eventually came back to the Pacers. I think there's a good chance that he could make the Hall of Fame as a contributor. Um, you know, I know there are quote-unquote Hall of Fame prospectors out there. I didn't buy this to flip it, but you know, I saw it. I don't figure there's a lot of these out there, and I wanted to grab it for something crazy happened, and this thing shot up in value. Um, now, let me clarify I'm not saying that this thing is going to shoot up in value. I'm not telling you to invest in Donnie Walsh, but I wanted to have one in my collection. So I posted a picture of it on social media sometime last weekend. Make sure to check it out if you haven't already. And then finally, for mail at least, I got a pair of 2013-2014 Crusade Gold Parallels. One of them was David West. The other one was Lance Stevenson, um, who, by the way, is trying to get back into the NBA. Somebody sign Lance, please. Just for my joy, somebody sign Lance. Uh, Now, it was odd that these popped up at the same time, and from different sellers, I might add. And some of you might be familiar with Crusade as part of the Chronicles brand. Well, you know, in my opinion, it's a shame that it's been relegated to cheap mashup products like Chronicles or um, shoved in, you know, Prism Draft because the Crusade brand actually has a decent amount of hobby history. So before I talk about these two cards specifically, I want to talk about that for just a couple of minutes. So I I know this is a mail day segment. You're going to get a little bit of of history in it as well. Um, Okay. Crusade. It was originally kind of a... um, set chase, uh, or a chase set, I should say more so an insert chase set that was part of leaf and Donruss in the late nineties. And that was for baseball and football because of course they didn't have a basketball license back then. Um, Panini purchased Donruss in 2009 in order to create a, a Panini America. So that gave them rights to some of those old designs as well, except now they had a basketball license. So, uh, and then starting in 2010 an exclusive. So Um, In the 2010 season, they brought Crusade, or at least the branding back, um, and they brought it to basketball as part of their elite black box product. Um, You can look these up online. I'm not a big fan of them. And it incorporated a few small components of the Crusade identity. I believe I've seen it uh, labeled as a Regal theme But it wasn't the bright multicolored Chromium release that a lot of people were used to from 1998. Um, And then Crusade went away for a year because of the lockout. It came back, this time as a standalone product, in 2012-2013. So they made a standalone product just based off of a parallel from the late 90s. But um, it had a base set that was kind of a paper stock um, and that didn't do much for me. It was only 100 cards, but there was a 300-card Crusade Prism set as part of this product, and it looked awesome, pretty much because it was a direct copy of the 1998 Crusade design that I referenced earlier. Um, now, that was 2012. The set came back the next year for the final time as a standalone set, and once again, it had the, you know, the basic base set, and then the Crusade cards were considered inserts, if this were redone in 2021, which who knows what's going to happen, I imagine the Chromium Crusade cards would become the main base set. Um, and yeah, I know that seems indicative of our card climate today, but that's probably the way the set should have been constructed in 2012 and 2013 anyway. Um, while I like the Crusade cards in general, if you go back and look at the reviews for this product, for the, uh, both of the standalone products in 2012 and 2013, It wasn't very well received, probably wasn't configured correctly, it definitely wasn't priced correctly, so it it really didn't work. And I don't have any confirmation of this, but I assume that's part of why it stopped being a standalone product after two years. Anyway, it bounced around from there. So for three years, it was part of a product called Excalibur. And there were tons of regal themed cards and inserts in this product. I, you know, I don't know why they didn't just call it Crusade, but whatever. So in 2014 2015, Exc- Excalibur started as a Target exclusive. And then after that, it, it was available in different spots. Eventually, Crusade disappeared for two years until it came back as part of 2018 Chronicles. It was kind of cool to see it back. Um,. And then, of course, they ran it in the to the ground by including it as part of the 2019 Prism draft set as well. So anyway, there's your, I don't know, if you didn't ask for it, but there you got a Crusade um, little his, quick history lesson there. All of that is to say, I got a couple of cool 2013-2014 golds in the mail this week. Um, the Crusade brand is really deteriorated over time, but these are two great looking cards And I appreciate their lineage in the bigger hobby picture. All right, before I move into today's final segment, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I joined their affiliate program. Whether you're looking for signed memorabilia, one of the popular Phoenix football sets, or any form of sports gear, there's a good chance Fanatics has it. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod, click the Fanatics logo at the top, shop as planned, and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday morning, I put some feelers out on Instagram to see if there were any current topics that people wanted me to discuss. This was a few hours before the Golden Press release, so I didn't know anything about that. And while there's no shortage of news in the hobby right now, a lot of the real popular topics... I'll be honest. I'm just not interested in them, so I put some feelers out, and I got a number of responses. And thanks to those of you that took the time to respond, there were two in particular that got a lot of likes and stood out to me. And they kind of go together, so that's what I want to tackle today. I'm going to read those to you real quick. The first one came for um, that came from I should say the handle at the itch for cards, and he said. Recap the of the evolution of the hobby over the past year, how it affects the collector, and how to scratch the itch in the new environment. Collectors aren't going anywhere, they just have to do it different. The second comment came from the handle at Bob824cards. He said, kids being priced out of the hobby. How to get youth interested in a hobby that has been taken over by flipping and investing. Those are not bad per se, but the resulting price increases Really make the hobby enjoyment part challenging. Imagine a kid saving all his money going to a box store and having to stand behind someone who has followed the restock person from a different store, ready to grab everything put on the shelf. And no, buying singles is not the answer. Opening wax is an experience that is central to the hobby. Okay, so thanks to both of you, especially for those comments. Um, I feel like both of these responses deal with adaptability, so that's how I'm going to tackle things today, and I want to address it on three different levels. So number one, Panini, number two, adults, and number three, kids. Okay, so the first portion, um, talking about the evolution of the hobby, I feel like I talked about that quite a bit in episode 84. I know that was all the way back in October, but I'm not going to go through all of that again. And even though some of the ultra-modern stuff has apparently cooled off a little bit, finding cards in the store is practically impossible. I've seen posts where Target and Walmart are are taking measures to combat this. Um, Supposedly, they're going to start imposing limits on sports card purchases. I've seen some stores that are doing that already. I know, I think Target has an app that holds your spot in line, and they give you so many minutes to go and claim your cards I've seen letters even where they're encouraging retail stores and the stocking reps to orchestrate or restock after hours. I don't think any of these things are really going to work. You know, there are obviously loopholes. People are just going to scan multiple transactions or they're going to bring multiple people in. Uh, but, you know, kudos to them for trying. I don't know what else they can really do. Um, you know, it seems they are definitely trying. At some point, I figured they're just going to say this is too much of a hassle we're done with cards entirely. Um, And when a lot of people see this, they'll, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, well, Panini needs to fix this. Well, you know, truth be told, they're mass printing garbage with products like Illusions, Chronicle, Mosaic, and Hoops Premium. And people are eating it up. And it was still very hard to find in stores. I know a few months ago, I saw a stack of Hoops premium blasters at a show, and I thought, you know what? I, I would like to open some of this. I haven't found it anywhere. I just want one to open. So I asked the guy how much he wanted for one, and he said $85. Maybe I made a face. I don't know. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to be polite. I was trying to behave, and I definitely didn't say anything before he interjected, They're really hard to find. Well, no, they're actually not really hard to find. Um, in this case, in this case, the guy had a ton of them, and what he meant to say was they're really hard to find at MSRP because I'm holding all of them hostage. But you know that's not as good of a sales pitch when you're at a show. Um, so I don't know how Panini stops this necessarily, but back in November I heard an idea that I really liked on the Wax Pack Hero podcast with Mike Summer. And I enjoy Mike's content, I'm not trying to steal his ideas, I encourage you to listen to that episode in full, it was episode number 88, and I hope I'm doing this justice, but Mike basically suggested that Panini take one low-end product and just run the presses non-stop, print this thing to the moon, put little or no hits or chase cards in it, just make it a real, basic, low-end set. Now, I'll add a little bit to that idea. Um, if they did that, I'd like to see it resemble Topps Total. I know Panini did their version um, back in 2015 and 2016 called Panini Complete, but it didn't quite have everything that I wanted in it, and the, the cardstock was really flimsy. So add coaches in, add mascots in, make it a big set, You know, make it very similar to Topps Total, which we had in 2004 and 2005. And if you ruin the value of just this one set, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're driving the whole industry off of a cliff. You know, if you make a product that really has little to no um, physical value, it still provides an experience cost because people are bemoaning the fact that they can't rip wax. So if people value ripping wax, give them something to rip. This is something that might stay on shelves over time and give adults a chance to scratch the retail itch. And it also gives kids a chance to open something that's affordable and fun. Then you can show them about opening cards and you can play pack wars with this stuff because it's cheap and it's fun. Um, Now, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier this week and someone said, you know, well, Panini wouldn't want to take the time to keep manufacturing a set like this when they could be printing more profitable products. You know, that could be true. I don't know. I don't know how all the logistics would work. Maybe they could use a secondary printing facility for something like this. I don't know. You know, after all, it would be a lower quality. But um, anyway, kudos to Mike. I thought that was an excellent idea. He pitched it to someone at Panini on that episode. Like I said, episode 88. I think it's very doable. Maybe we'll see something like that in the future. But in the meantime, though, collectors have to learn to adapt. You've got no choice. And um, there was one line in that second Instagram comment that I think bears repeating, where Bob wrote, opening wax is an experience that is central to the hobby. And I've talked about this some either on this show or on some other shows. If you can't find wax um, at MSRP or you don't want to pay the ridiculous markup prices, Which, by the way, I don't think you should because it only supports um, and keeps this cycle going that we're in. Um, But if opening wax is central to the hobby and you can't open wax, then you have to find a way to replicate that feeling as much as possible. Now, notice I said as much as possible. You're not going to replicate it 100%. However, you might find something that you like better. You just have to figure out what it is about that experience that you really enjoy. Is it making money? Is it the anticipation? Is it the unwrapping element? Or maybe it's a combination of those things. Well, here are um, four suggestions that I have for you. They're not going—they're not perfect. They're not going to apply to everyone, but they're just ideas. Maybe you can um, innovate them and make them even better. Number one. Now, this sounds very simple, but go through your entire collection again if you've been collecting for any length of time, you probably have some stuff that you forgot about. Um, you probably have one or two boxes that are in a difficult spot that you really don't want to work your way to. You don't want to move all the stuff to get to it. Um, or maybe you have cards at a relative's house, be it a parent or a sibling. Go through those again. Um, you know, you, There might be some stuff in there you don't remember you have. So there you go. There's a surprise element. There's an unwrapping element. Okay, and maybe if there's something valuable in there, there's a making money element to that. Um, suggestion number two is one that I really latched onto in the last year, and that's buying lots on eBay. So for me, um, I actually kind of like that better than ripping wax because I like the hunt of the whole thing. And um, now granted, I'm very calculated with the lots that I buy, and I look at eBay a lot. So I do a lot of hunting. It's not just dumb luck, but if I see a lot with a card that I know will cover the whole thing, I'll usually pull the trigger, if it's one that I can move easily. That's what I call a break-even lot. And if I see a binder that's less than $30 shipped, and it doesn't look like it's all complete junk, I'll buy it. It's essentially the price of a blaster, and sometimes I end up with a nice binder I can reuse in the process. Um, And for me, you know, buying lots isn't all about making money. I like flipping through cards. Um, I like learning about new sets. It forces me to, you know, look sets up that I'm not familiar with. And then also I want to try and unearth rare cards that would otherwise have gone undiscovered. Um, So that was number two. My third suggestion is very similar, except it involves looking for lots Um, on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, or any type of similar app. There's more of these apps that are coming out each and every day. Um, I've only purchased cards in person either at a, you know, with the conventional means, right? At a store, at a shop, or at a show. Um, But I have a little outing coming up in the next week that I coordinated with a former collector that I'm, you know, talked to on one of these apps. I saw he listed some stuff. I asked him if he had more stuff. He lives about 40 minutes away from me. So we're going to meet at a Starbucks. Um, and I'm going to do this for the first time. I'm going to, you know, I've been in this for two, two and a half decades. I'm going to buy some of his cards and I'm going to look through some of his other stuff. And I, you know, I know some of what he has, um, and I know, you know, I can at least break even on it if I decide not to keep them. But um, the whole opportunity and the unknown element of it is intriguing to me. You know, maybe there's a maybe there's a J Crowder 101 in there. You know, who knows? Um, I probably wouldn't even be doing this, though, if I had more conventional ways of obtaining cards. But this whole year is forcing me to change. And you know what? I'm looking forward to the experience. Um, Finally, number four involves talking to the people around you about the collections they might have or the ones they put together at one time. I'm sure a lot of you have reached out to siblings and close friends, but how many of you have asked your coworkers about cards? How many of you have asked your neighbors? Now, you've got to be creative about it. Maybe you can cite the crazy growth in the industry right now and give an example how some of your cards have gone up in value. Money. Money always gets people's attention. And by doing this, though, you, you accomplish two things. One, you can possibly unearth some cards that are tucked away in a closet collecting dust, right? If they find out their $10 Kobe Tops rookies are now 400 or $500, that will probably give them the motivation to go and bring them to you because they trust you and they know they can talk to you about them. Um, and then two it helps normalize the hobby for other people. And I know, you know, I talked earlier about how, yay, you know, we're going all mainstream now. There's still a weird stigma that comes with card collecting sometimes. And for whatever reason, um, people are ashamed to talk about it, which I've said on here before, I think is goofy. If it's something you enjoy, don't be ashamed of it. Um, but anyway, talk to people about why you collect and be an advocate for the hobby it helps to normalize things for everyone. Okay, now, being an advocate for the hobby, that segues into my last talking point for the day. I talked about what I think Panini can do to adapt, talked a little bit about how grown-ups can adapt right now. Now it's time to talk about the kids. How can kids adapt to the hobby in its current state? Because you see You know, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you're an adult. Um, You're able to use your resources and your creativity to get what you want for the most part, or at least to get closer to what you want. Well, right now, the kids in the hobby need people to advocate for them. And I don't think the answer, you know, I've seen people, they have good intentions. They're just tagging Panini and Upper Deck and Tops. Please do something about this. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. Well, what are they supposed to do? You know, I, I mentioned mass printing the product earlier. I think that would be a good start, but they're not going to be able to fix this. Um, so think about it. It's likely that you had an adult that influenced your collecting at some point. So I want you to think about some practical steps you can take to make collecting more fun for kids in 2021. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have the perfect answers. I've got a, a few things I'm going to suggest or pass along, and then I'm, I'm hoping you can build from that. Um, One of them, actually I was listening to the Cardboard Illuminati podcast a couple weeks ago, and Tyler suggested donating base cards to local shops or local elementary school teachers to pass out to kids. I think that's a great idea. Um, And, you know, try to give them some current stuff so they're not stuck with a dozen Tree Rollins cards. Um, And maybe, you know, even if you've got like a dollar box or if you've got a junk box of relics, take some of those relics um, bag them up with some of those base cards, put them in team bags and make your own packs that you can distribute. you, this might be the only time you hear me getting behind any sort of repack product. Um, and I saw an example of this last Halloween. I don't even remember who it was. Someone on my Instagram was making packs of their local team's base cards. It, It might've been Steve putting Jay Crowder cards in there for, to trick kids. Um, But I think it might have actually been a Raptors fan. Either way, whoever did it, kudos to you. That was a great idea. Um, I think that's a good way. You know, we're not anywhere close to Halloween just yet, but um, maybe something to keep in mind. And I figure there are more options than just giving stuff away, but that's where the community comes in. If you have ideas to help kids enjoy the hobby and you know for a fact that they work, please share them. All right. Well, there you have it. If you're listening to this episode today, I'm pretty confident that you've had to adapt in some way in the last year. Even if you're a new collector, things are changing so fast. The hobby probably doesn't look the same as the moment you entered it. At the end of the day, though, this hobby is what you make it. And maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you, or maybe you have an idea on how others can adapt and improve their hobby experience. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under the handle at PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. And this works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top, just click on that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. Um, You're going to buy on eBay anyway, this doesn't cost you anything extra, it's just a simple way you can take an extra few seconds and support the show. Um, If multiple people do that, it really helps me out and helps me to keep doing this, so once again...